0: the Collective Whisper podcast with Simon K Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Collective Whisper Podcast. I am your host, Simon Kay, and we have a very special guest for you today. So we hope you stay tuned to hear who that is. And we'd just like to remind you, please follow and subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. We hope you're enjoying it and we hope you're enjoying the guests so far and more great guests to come. Okay, moving on to this week's guest. Today, I'd like to welcome singer-songwriter George Murphy from Dublin. George Murphy is an Irish singer-songwriter who hailed from the Dublin suburb of Beaumont. He exploded onto the Irish music scene after his memorable appearances on the Irish television show Your Star. Just out of secondary school at the age of 17, he very quickly took over the Irish music scene, signing to Sony Ireland for his debut album Dream to Dream, which went straight to number one in the Irish chart. The album eventually went on to gain triple platinum status. George had made a big impact with insiders on the Irish music scene. Phil Coulter, was quoted as saying that George is the most exciting vocal find in Ireland. The late Ronnie Drew was quoted as saying, a voice beyond his years. Peggy Seeger was quoted saying a very honest approach to the songs kept them true to their origin and Hot Press Magazine described him at the time as a serious contender. George enjoyed a lot of success in the early part of his career playing at a lot of top festivals and venues in Ireland. In 2006, George went on to release his second album, So the Story Goes, and the title track got to number 7 in the Irish Singles Chart. That same year, he played O2 in the park and shared the stage with Brian i who was making his debut as a solo artist after leaving Westlife. He decided to embark on a small tour in America, where he released his third album, The Ballad of Archie Thompson, featuring folk legends John Sheehan and Barney McKenna of the Dubliners. For personal reasons, George came back to Ireland in 2013. He had grown a little tired of the road and felt that he had lost some motivation. A dark time was to follow, and as he said himself, it's a tough life being on the road as an artist. Full of ups and downs, the highs are very high, but the lows are very low. Fortunately, it didn't take George too long to get back on his feet. He started taking writing his own material more seriously and began playing small pubs, clubs and small music venues trying out some of his new material. In 2015, George signed a new management deal with 10 Music Management and then went on to sign a new record deal with Trad Nua. When Finbar's lad, Martin Fury left the High Kings, they immediately turned to George Murphy to fill the void. Now, after 18 months of audience and critical acclaim, George has decided to return to his roots and with his own band, the Rising Suns will tour extensively in 2022. Okay, so welcome to the show, George Murphy. Thank you, Simon. A pleasure to join you. It's great to chat with you. I I, um, I was looking you up there a few weeks ago, and I was thinking, oh, that's a man I haven't heard of for a while. I mean, you, you're, you're. I saw you on, on the Irish radar there, but because I've been living in Spain for a few years, I wouldn't see as much as Irish people would. So I was just combing through, and I said, oh, George Murphy. And I, I actually did see your video, the one that's getting all the views with... With all the singers and and the rising suns in the bar, that was really nice.
1: Yeah, I'm purely spontaneous as well. You know, um, it, it it's a pub just around the corner from from my house here, and believe it or not, my my mom is actually part of the furniture in the place now. She 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 started off working there over 20 years ago, and it, it's it's the local pub. It's the Beaumont House, but it's also a place that um, Pete St John frequented an, an awful lot. And it was the day of his funeral. So a lot of them um, singers and balladeers and stuff that, that wanted to pay tributes to to Pete all came together and, and went to his local hunt and the guitars came out and the cameras came out and Paddy Riley was there and Glenn Hansard was there and myself and my group that the rising sons were there. And it's just, I mean, it's amazing how something spontaneous and something just kind of uh, very natural for us, um, transpired into being a video that's had like over a million bloody views worldwide now you know it's crazy
0: i think what it was though it was like what you just said there it was the whole natural feeling of it because we all kind of have been in those occasions where there's a funeral and especially if there's a few musicians you know someone will say is there a guitar behind the bar or johnny brought a guitar you know i've been in lots of those situations over the years where something just happens and you're celebrating the life of someone and it turns into this fabulous sing song that most people never record, you know. But nowadays people record things much more, yeah. so it's great when you can capture some of those moments.
1: The funny thing about it is, I'm, I'm often a bit critical of of people just pulling their phones out all the time, you know. Um, but then it, it kind of is a nece- it is a necessary evil uh, when when you realise uh, how many people around the world want to see these things. But you know, I I think sometimes it's it's not the best thing in the world when you're at a show and people are watching the show through through their screen on their phone. I mean, put your phone away and watch the show. But, but then at the same time, I am glad that in years to come, I'll be able to look back and, and see some of this footage. It's pretty cool, you know.
0: I think you just kind of nailed it there because... The concerts, I don't like the phones and concerts and all that. I think, you know, fair enough, you might want to get a snippet. But people are filming the whole show. I went to a a show there a few years ago and the woman filmed the whole show. And you're kind of thinking, is she a bootlegger? No, she just, you know, wanted the whole thing. And I'm thinking you're watching it through a lens and you're not enjoying it. You know, those impromptu things like you had with the guys, you know, someone said, I'm going to film this song. And that was just a random moment it's not like they were filming the whole event because, you know, it wouldn't be natural. So, yeah, there's a no, very exactly. different thing when it's a natural video and it's uh, it's a whole concert.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but, but, but you're right, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a shame that, that people it's gotten to a stage where uh, everything is more nearly about a social media presence and uh you know being able to boast that you were at the show as opposed to actually just being there and enjoying the moment and living the moment you know and uh, (laughs) so many people are just guilty of of just being all about what what they can put up on instagram or 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 facebook or, or or whatever you know and and it's 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 turned us into um, into robots nearly to to an extent, you know.
0: It's funny because when I'm doing this podcast, some people say to me, oh, you should post more things from your own like private and personal life, you know, to do with your kids maybe or to do with your thing. And and it's better because but I'm like, no, I, that's my kind of limit. I mean, that's my I have a, a line and I mean, I like doing it. I You know, I don't mind. If I don't mind being on the podcast, showing my face, but I don't want to be saying, "Oh, this is my everyday activities, and this is what I'm doing, and this is my family, and this is what I'm eating today." I mean, those moments for me are kind of stupid to be filming. It's different if you're doing a concert or filming with a band, and you say, "Oh, this is us rehearsing." But I mean, people let the camera into too many private parts of their life, don't they?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, but but it is. It's become a way of life for. For some people, I mean, my daughter only recently got a mobile phone, you know, and, and I was reluctant to let her have one. But, you know, it's all this thing about my friends have one. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it kind of goes to serves to kind of show you that, like, p- people don't really remember what it was like to live life b- before having phones. And I, I actually think, you know, my generation in particular is um it's probably the last generation um that spent a childhood without like the internet and without uh without mobile phones and, and and all that kind of thing i mean if if i was looking for my friends back in the day when i was only a kid you know you just jumped on your bike and you you, you cycled around to all their doors and you knocked on all their doors and if they weren't there you came home and sometimes you came home and your mom would tell you when you got home all your friends are all just have to be at the door looking for you you know and you'd be running around in circles uh trying to find each other at all the local haunts and that was almost half the crack, you know. And then you, you'd you'd stumble upon all their bikes parked up somewhere and you'd be like, lovely, I found them kind of thing. And it was part of being a child, you know, whereas everything now is just kind of turned into mobiles and, and um and social media and it's it's kinda of, it's kinda of sad to see in a way, you know.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy because I see it here with my, my own daughter and other kids where You know, they they want to ask their friends question and rather than going two doors down or upstairs or wherever, they kind of get out the phones and they're like, oh, can I go on this? And you're like, yeah, you're like, well, can you not just like go to them or whatever? And they're like, no, it's quicker. And you're going, yeah, but I mean, I saw that once I saw two girls texting each other on the Metro in Madrid and they were sitting beside each other. And they were texting each other. And one was like looking down to the other one. Did you get my message? I'm thinking, Jesus, he could talk. But it's like this. It's like a second mouth nearly and a second set of ears. The phone, you know, they, they, they comment through that, don't they?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Ah, but look, I mean, I, as long as there's a few people in the world with a bit of cop on, then uh, then, then you, you I, I think we'll just yeah. kind of gather towards all of them, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. So we'll get to kind of what you're up to at the moment, but I want to go back a little bit. I like to go back and kind of see your early life and stuff. So you grew up in Beaumont. Tell us about your early life there. What kind of memories do you have from that?
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I had a great childhood. Uh, myself and a lot of my friends that, that, that I still, I'm very good friends with today. Um, we, we all would have just kind of congregated in the local park. Um, and, you know, you'd, <laughs> during the summer months, especially, you, you'd have been there from 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning till maybe like nearly the same time at night, you know, and you, you'd, and as long as there was uh, sun, sunlight, uh, you'd be playing football and you, you could be playing football six and seven hours of the day, you know, and, and, playing a game up to 10 and then that game would finish and you'd sit down and maybe go to the shop or something and get get yourself a, a, a drink and a bar of chocolate and a packet of crisps and then come back and relax for a half an hour and then start a whole new game of football you know and that, and that was just we were all football mad around, around the area um music was more something that was in-house for me um my, my dad is a singer and um and my, my sisters are good singers too, uh, but my dad actually done it professionally. But growing up in the house with my dad, it, it was just, you know, he still to this day, he gets up and he still gigs, but he, he gets up every day and he turns on the laptop and he learns a couple of new songs for his shows at the weekend. And I I kind of call him the human jukebox. Okay. Yeah. I, I I call him the human jukebox because he he literally just sings everything from, 60s, 70s and 80s to, to modern day music as well. And he boasts uh, about the fact that he's never done the same gig twice in all his years gigging. And he, he might have done plenty of the same songs over and over again, but he's never done the same repertoire um over and over. And, you know, growing up in that house and listening to him practicing was Definitely, my early kind of teaching of of music and my, my early uh, learning of it. Um, but you know, it was it was always out the door and jump on the bike, go and find the lads and and have a game of ball and stuff like that. So I'd say my my earliest loves were in the house was music, and and outside the house was football. You know,
0: and you know those two kind of lives can challenge each other because there's a lot of kids who, you know, their parents might say, oh, learn the guitar or, you know, play the drums or whatever. And they're like, yeah, but they're they're interested in playing football and they want to go playing football. And there's this calling outside, which is your friends and all this adventure and running up the woods and all this kind of crack. And then the other part is you'd like to play music, but maybe you're not in love with it as much. And then sometimes when you get to 17 or 18, maybe a band inspires you. And you're like, I'm going to learn the chords of that. And you kind of find your voice, isn't it? It's a, it's a funny thing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the funny thing for me is um, my dad has has been a singer, like I was saying, uh, all of my life. And he, he started off when he was a teenager, but, but he never learned how to play an instrument. He was always just the lead singer with bands and he stood up front holding the microphone and singing songs. So the musical aspect in terms of instrumentation um, wasn't something that was... Uh, Really, um, at the forefront of of what I was trying to to do, and 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 music, you know, it was never something that I thought would or could become a career, um, until I went for an audition one day, and and that was kind of more about being a bit of an attention seeker, um, just wanted to get my face on TV and how are you ma and that kind of thing, you know, um, but uh, little did I know that you know tw- <laughs> twenty years later I'd still still be at it, and and it was only uh it was only after I found success um, that I started to teach myself how to play instruments because before then I, I didn't I didn't play. You know,
0: Obviously, before you were a star and and, you know, like the whole talent show thing was it kind of a thing that you said to yourself, oh, you know, I might play music one day, but I'm not sure am I ready for it? Or, you know, had you discovered your own kind of voice in a way or was that an influence from other people saying, oh, you should sing like, you know, Luke Kelly or somebody else?
1: Well, I I, I believe it or not, actually, when I when I auditioned for the show, I was in college uh, doing performing arts. And my my real passion at the time was to to get involved in acting. Um, And it's still something I want to do. And I actually got lucky enough to to get a role in the Abbey Theatre a couple of years ago um, in in a play that was based. It was based in a bar and uh, it was at a funeral. And we were just talking about Pete St. John's funeral there, but it was to capture that idea of remembering somebody and singing songs. And I played the singing barman and uh, sailed the seven seas and come, come back to live in Ireland and always had a story to tell and that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's an aspect of something that I wanted to do that I still don't feel I've fulfilled enough yet because music was always just something that, uh, to say it got in the way wouldn't be it wouldn't be a fair description but but it, it was it always it took up most of my time because i i had a record deal or i had um an agenda or or uh, or shows to play or or songs to write and that kind of thing and, and i just i i've never found enough time for the acting and it's it's definitely an itch that i i still want to scratch but um but yeah, I think I, I think I always wanted to do something involved on being on the stage. I always felt that I had something in terms of that kind of charisma that I wanted to show. I, I knew I never wanted to really work a nine to five job. I wanted to try and do everything in my power to try and make it in the in the entertainment industry.
0: You know, you mentioned there in your family, so there was yourself and your man, your dad, and what, was it was the two sisters. How many was in the many brothers and sisters?
1: To two older sisters, I'm the baby.
0: You're the baby. <laughs> so did your dad, you know, as he was pursuing his music and gigging every weekend, was he kind of, you know, trying to get you guys into the game? And, you know, as children do, or oh, I, yeah, dad, or did sing an odd tune in odd time. Did you go to a lot of his gigs?
1: I mean, not overly. I mean, he, 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 did, he did get a kick out of the fact that the three of us could sing. And I think he was delighted. I mean, it, even I'm delighted today that that my daughter is a great singer and she's she's really really good. But it's not something that I want to like push on her. And and my dad didn't really want to push it on us either. I think he was happy that we had um we had the ability to to follow in the footsteps. But I think first and foremost he wanted to make sure that we got a good education and that we could decide for ourselves going forward what we wanted to do and. You know, I I never woke up one day and decided I want to be a musician and I want to be a singer. It it all just kind of fell into my lap with the with the success that I I found at a young age. I mean, I I'd only finished school. I'd started in college doing this um, acting program, um, but I was only involved in that for for a short amount of time before I went for the audition. So I was seventeen, and then I was getting offered a record deal by Sony Music and. Phil Coulter was producing my first album, and it was just—it all came very fast, and it—it's it, been a roller coaster journey ever since then. And you know, it's—it's wow. it's something that I often wonder what I might have done or what I would have got involved in um, had I not uh, gone for the audition that day, or had I not kind of had music um, fall into my lap as a career option. And I—I I also think. It it may have been nice if if I'd have spent three or four years um in the kind of grown up world of of not being in school anymore and maybe having to get a job or, or or experience what it's like to do a nine to five or to get a trade or to do something. I I think it would have maybe grounded me a little bit to experience that side of things before all of a sudden being landed with a record deal. But as it transpired for me, like I. I I finished school and a couple of months later I I had a number one album in the charts and it it was a very strange thing and still is a kind of a strange thing to get my head around because you know what for some for want of a better way of putting it I wasn't really living in in the real world I I was getting this silver spoon treatment and uh, and you know being treated like a superstar and without ever really having to earn it. I mean, there, there's an awful lot of brilliant musicians out there who'll never reach the heights that I reached. And, and I reached them in the blink of an eye with the click of a finger because that's the kind of thing reality TV can do for you. It, it can literally just change our whole world and turn it upside down in, in a flash. But on reflection, while I'm very grateful and, and proud of of my achievements back then, it doesn't feel as real as it feels now. Because this time round, I have actually put the hard hours in. I have put the work in. I have been writing songs. I have, I have been learning how to play instruments. I have built a, a, a band from scratch. And we've uh, tried to come up with things that are better than the sum of our parts. And yeah. it's those things that, for me, make the music a little bit more rewarding than what I actually achieved in my very early days. Because what I achieved in my early days you know i didn't have to strive for it i didn't have to work hard for it it was it was all just given to me on a plate and I, i find now if if i ever reach them heights again if i was to ever have a number one again or if i was to do those kind of things it would definitely feel more like i've i've earned it this time than than it did in the beginning you
0: know for a lot of other artists they're learning their craft or putting in the hours and maybe they never get anywhere or they don't you know Uh, go down a similar road. So the talent show kind of a thing is um, the format is sometimes people who could be great musicians and great singers are kind of uh, starting at the other end, where they perform an audition and it goes well, and the people vote for them. And then straight away, they have a record deal and they're at the other end of it. And they're like, okay, what do I do now? And then they have to start learning. But maybe they're not giving, given enough time to learn. And unfortunately, if the first album is successful and the second is not as successful, or the artist doesn't do what they want them to do exactly, maybe their career at that moment can finish. So it's very difficult. And in some ways, you're kind of a poster boy for the record companies and the entertainment and production companies to make this a success. And it doesn't always work, does it?
1: No. Well, I mean, if, if I could go back and I, I know it's very easy to say now, but but uh, I would have loved to do it the, the old fashioned way and the, the organic way of, you know, starting up a band in a garage or something like that, or or having ideas with, with mutual friends, um, musicians, and and trying to start from grassroots level, as opposed to the reality TV thing. Because the problem is you get branded. And, and, and when you, like, I mean, they're still to this day, people come up to me and they're like, you're a star or Raglan Road or Luke Kelly. And, you know, I'm, it, it's lovely to have been compared to Luke to Lou kelly because he's such a, a fantastic um singer and and it's lovely to be um uh attributed with, with raglan Road as well um as a signature song uh but it, it, it's almost as if the very first thing i ever did at the age of 17 it just kind of put me into a box and people closed the box and put a ribbon on it and said okay that's what you are you know and it, it makes it very difficult then yeah. going forward to have the the creativity and the um the spontaneity of of wanting to try different things and and new things and and i don't think people who've done it the old fashioned way uh, are branded with, with that same brush and and i think that they the the options and the opportunities are actually greater for for a person or for an act that hasn't gone the whole reality TV route. Um, and I've certainly found it tough uh, over the years. It, it hasn't all been like sunshine and rainbows for for me. Um, there, there's been times in my career where I thought of packing it in and, and just getting a normal job because I, I wasn't enjoying the um, the, the pressure of, of simply having to make money out of music and, and make it a career. Because the, the thing for me about music is it, it shouldn't ever feel like a job it it should always be for the love of doing doing what you love and and for for trying to um to achieve something that uh that your heart is in and not necessarily about paying bills uh but unfortunately it does become about paying bills especially when when you have children of your own or if you have a mortgage of your own and uh, event you start having to maybe take on some gigs that you'd maybe rather not take on just because you you need to pay these bills so you know i i envy sometimes my friends that are in the band with me because they have day jobs and they just take part in the music for the love of playing music and don't get me wrong i i I take part as well for the love of playing but sometimes it's hard to find that line as to where it is in terms of just you know doing it for for the essential need of having to make money and pay bills you know
0: yeah you're right you know, i mean because we have those moments in our life and you know when we're up on the stage playing you know i had that a few years ago i was playing like on one of these islands with a band and they were all there you know just single people and i was there with my my girlfriend and my daughter and for me it was far more of a serious thing because you wanted to work because your family is there with you you've made that sacrifice and that commitment so when you have people to support You take it far more seriously and maybe you don't have another job to back up anything else if it goes wrong. So it depends on the priorities within the band. I mean, some people can be doing it just for the fun and they can be saying, oh, well, let's not get so serious about it or let's not push it so much. But the other person can be more driven because they're thinking, this is my career. I have to make my living here. So it's it's a different set of priorities, isn't it?
1: no it certainly is and and again that that that's the kind of trap that you can you can fall into when you're doing it full time as a musician and not not even just as a musician like entertainment in general like as as an actor or or, or anything like that you, you know you, sometimes it, it is all about just making sure that you, you can pay the bills but, but I, I do my best to try and stay true to myself and to, i mean like for example I was making a hell of a lot more money when I was playing with the high kings, but my heart wasn't in that show. I mean, I I got to play on the the big stages and travel on the, on the big tour buses and go all over the United States and be put up in top hotels and looked after with like food and drink and, you know, like four star treatment everywhere we went. And, but I just, I, it didn't have my heart in it that for me that the music wasn't what I wanted to do. And I'm happier now with my own band, The Rising Suns. And we haven't reached the heights that the High Kings are at. But the the word that I would use is yet. We haven't reached it yet. So, you know, I You're okay put my goals and my ambitions into reaching the heights that I want to reach on my terms doing what I want to do with people I want to do it with and on the stages that I want to do it with. And you know, my granddad would always say that if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm doing something I love and I I, I can't yeah, I can't say that I've never worked a day in my life because there has been times where I've fallen out of love with what it is I'm doing but that's only because like I said I took on certain work that I didn't really want to do but I had to do it in order to pay bills or to 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 get myself ahead in life financially but I'm I'm in a I'm in a happy place now I I have my I own my own home and um, which I'm very lucky to say that I I do because I literally just bought the house before COVID came along. And, and, you know, with the result of COVID and and, and musicians all losing their livelihoods for a couple of years, if if I was looking for a house now, I wouldn't stand a chance. Like there's not a bank in the land that would touch me. So I have to consider myself very grateful for, for what it is I have But now is the time that I I want to do what I want to do and achieve what I want to achieve. And it's not all about money because, you know, I would be happier just getting by. And, uh, you know, as long as I could pay the bills and and look after my kids and and look after my, my partner and all that stuff, I'd be happier just getting by doing what I want to do than I would be making a lot of money not doing what I want to do. If
0: that makes sense. You're right there, yeah. And I, I want to talk about something there, obviously, that is kind of along that vein. But after you had, you know, the the initial success, obviously, with Dream the Dream, and then you brought out a very different album and so, so the story goes. And, you know, a, a great album, too. I mean, it's a different style, obviously, from the other stuff. But it's, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because you can bring out a great album and people can love it. And, you know... I had seen some of your comments where people listened to it and thought it was other bands and they thought it was great. But then when they found out it was you, they were like, oh, go back to the other style and so on. So it's that's quite frustrating, isn't it? Because you you I imagine you worked on that album and, you know, I, I, I was listening to it earlier and some a, a great sound and, you know, great singing and everything on it. But the problem is people just want to pigeonhole you, don't you? And when you're younger it's much more harder to take when you're older. You can say, oh, "Well, you know, fuck you all. I'll do what I want," and da da da. But when you're younger, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it, to to have to live up to?
1: Well, yeah, but well, I mean, for for me, I think one of the biggest problems in the music industry is that, and it's it, it's not just you know it didn't just happen me, or, or it, it's not just because of of reality TV or anything like that. I, I just think in general, when it comes to music, um people want an act to stick to a specific genre. So if you're a rock and roll band, just do rock and roll. If you're a traditional Irish band, just do traditional Irish music. If you're an indie uh, pop band, just do indie pop. But what about, what about the guys out there that, that feel they can take a kind of stab at a little bit of everything? I mean, like uh, like I said, I was brought up in a house where my dad listened to all kinds of music. So I could be listening to my dad uh, rehearsing and it could be a Luke Kelly song one day. And the next day it could be the Beatles. And the next day it could be Bob Dylan. And the next day it could be Elvis Presley. And then it could be Frank Sinatra. And then it could be Led Zeppelin. And, you know, having all of this music bubbling up inside me and, and feeling as a vocalist that I can... I can perform like I mean I can actually sing opera. I've never I've never done it, but I, but I've 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 practiced it. Um, I've never done it live on stage or anything, but but, but I can sing. I can sing opera, and I I can sing. You know, I I like I like to sing Beatles stuff, and I like to sing Queen stuff, and you know. But but as soon as people hear me singing Lou Kelly at a, at seventeen years of age, they decide, okay, here's George Murphy. He's a new Irish ballad singer. And don't ever try to be anything else, you know? And it, for me, that's, that's not the way music, music should be. There shouldn't be any rules in place as to what you can and can't sing as an artist. If, if, if you feel you can, you know, go from A to Z and, and go through B, C, D, E all the way and, 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 and tackle each letter or each avenue or, each option, for, for want of a better way of putting it, if you can tackle all of these things with with a hundred percent of your ability, uh, then why not give it a go? Um, I think I think what happened me and the reason my success kind of went down the drain after my second album is because perhaps I went from A to Z, but I never passed through B, C, D, E. I just took that huge jump. I went from the first letter to the last letter and people were so confused. I had built up a fan base for, for Irish folk music and they really enjoyed what I was coming out with. And then I released an album of original indie rock and roll stuff. And
0: yeah, people were
1: turning up to my shows and I, I had a new fan base up for the new album. And I had an old fan base for the old album and the, New fans didn't like the old material, and the old fans didn't like the new material, and it just kind of left people a little bit bewildered, myself included. I I didn't really know how to how to handle um the situation, and you know what was to come next was you know went from a success story to a complete failure story. I I was dropped from the record label. I didn't appear again on TV for years. I didn't get a radio interview for years. I wasn't in magazines or papers or any kind of press. I I moved away from Ireland uh, because people still recognized me. And I hated being recognized in the streets, but I wasn't still a performer anymore. Because I wasn't getting shows anymore. People wouldn't book me because they didn't know what show they were getting. They didn't know if I was going to be uh, an Irish folk artist or an indie rock and roll artist. And because of the confusion, you know, I lost everything. I I lost my band. I lost my record label. I lost my income. Like I lost everything and I lost everything just because I was trying to be an artist and be experimental and, and, and prove to people that I'm not just a one trick pony and that I can, I can try different things. And, honestly that was you know the most difficult time in my life and to dust myself down and to move away for a couple of years and in those couple of years i taught myself how to play the guitar i started writing a few songs and i came back with a kind of a new agenda of um i'm gonna start all over again from scratch i'm gonna go out to the pubs i'm gonna sing in the corner of a pub and i'm gonna prove to people that you know i wasn't just a flash in the pan and know it was tough because i had people that had been coming up to see my shows when i was playing in rooms with six and seven hundred people and six or seven hundred tickets being sold and now they're just seeing me in the corner of a pub on a saturday night playing for free basically well not not free i was obviously being paid but but nobody had to buy a ticket and, and nobody necessarily was there specifically to see me i was just the entertainment on the night and I'd have people coming up to me saying, "Like George, like you're better than this." I went to see you play in Vicker Street when you were with the Dubliners, or I went to see you in this venue, or I went to see you in that venue. How come you're just sitting in the corner of a pub? And I was like, "Well, I need to make money, and I, and I need to kind of get my face back out there." It's been a few years since I've I've done anything on the musical scene, but that was the start of my apprenticeship, as far as I'm concerned. That was me going back to to day one and and no longer. You know, trying to feed off the idea of, Oh, look at me. I was on this TV show and I got to do this album and I signed with Sony. Like all of that was out the window. It was all gone. It was, it was time to uh, start all over again and prove to people why it is I deserve a second chance in the music industry. Because to me, that's, that's the only thing harder than getting a chance in the music industry is getting a second chance in the music industry. And that's what I'm trying to achieve at the moment. Uh, And I'm still trying to achieve it to this day because, you know, while I'm playing some good shows and and I've got a good band behind me, we're we're still not where I want us to be. We're still not doing the big TV shows. We're still not on the big festival stages. Um, And, you know, I, I think anyone that has seen us and seen the new band that I've set up, they all kind of feel it's only a matter of time because everybody that's come to see us has left Extremely impressed with the show that we've put on. But we are still waiting for for something to give us that kickstart where we can go on to the bigger stages and get ourselves back onto the radio stations. And uh, I think when it comes this time around, it'll, it'll feel like it's deserved, you know.
0: I think that's totally possible because, like you said there, you know, the talent you had as a younger man, and, you know, you're still a young man, but as, as a 17-year-old... You had that talent, but you didn't have it honed. You didn't have the craft down. And there was kind of a hint of what could be there. And then, obviously, you you said you went away and you learned your craft and you started again from the beginning. And now you are kind of taking that potential that was year there years before that's forged into something far more unique and far more your original style. And you know who you are now, you know your identity. And then you have some great musicians working with you with the Rising Suns. So when you have all of that, it's kind of a catalyst and it can make things happen. And of course. There will be the people that will say, oh, it's George Murphy, we'll book him. But there's no harm in that either. I mean, you, you don't want to say, oh, I'm going to change my name and not live off any success because you try to use that success as much as you can. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And, and people wouldn't be human if they didn't.
1: No, that's true. It's very true. But but at the same time, I, I, I do think you, you need to find ways of reinventing yourself so as to give people yeah. a reason uh, to give you the second chance. And for me, the the, the reinvention, it, it is the Rising Suns. I was with the High Kings and I was traveling around with the High Kings and I was starting to get a little bit bored with it. So I, I came home uh, in the in the middle of a tour, or sorry, at the end of one of the tours before we were going back out on another tour. And, and I got onto the local bar and I just asked uh, the the owner, I said, is there any chance you would let me start a bit of a session here and I can invite some musicians down and, He said he was more than happy to give it a go. And I just put the word out that if any musicians around the area uh, wanted to come down and sing a few songs with George Murphy, that they were more than welcome. And the reaction was unreal. The the amount of people that arrived down, there was whistle players, banjo players, fiddle players, mandolin players. And that's what it started off as. And it had that uh, acoustic, authentic, organic, Irish folk kind of feeling. And then the following week, a guy arrived down with an electric guitar and another guy arrived down with a bass guitar. And I was kind of looking at them and I was like, lads, look, I don't really know if that's the direction we're going in. I mean, that's a little bit more rock and roll for, for, for what we're doing here. And, you know, they said, well, we just seen your post saying if anyone played an instrument and wanted to join in, they were more than welcome. And I said, well, look, that's true. I, I did say that, but I was more thinking, you know, uh did." Th- th- this kind of instrumentation of of acoustic and stuff, and they were like, okay, well, look, can we can we play this evening and 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 just uh, see how it goes? And I said, absolutely, yeah. And I was blown away by the the lift that it gave the sound. Now, I mean, your purists out there would tell you that, you know. In Irish folk music, you're not supposed to have bass guitars or electric guitars or or any of this. But again, tapping back into what I was saying about why should these things have rules? Um, why should you all be stuck into one box of a of a genre um, that you know and that you have to do this and you have to do that? I wanted to throw caution to the wind. I wanted to tap into this new sound that was happening right in front of my eyes and in front of my ears. And I couldn't believe that we were gelling electric guitars, bass guitars, drums, with whistles, fiddles, banjos, mandolins. I was like, this is something very unique. There's there's something really cool happening here. And yeah, when I sat down with management booking a solo tour for me, um, after I just made the decision to leave the High Kings, um, they kind of said, Look, go out and get yourself one or two uh session musicians and take the show on the road. Um because that's the only thing that's going to be feasible in terms of, you know, hotel rooms, travel costs, all that kind of thing. And I said, I said, no, I'm I'm going to bring these lads that I've started a session with on the road. And they said, OK, well, how many of you is there? And I said, there's eight of us. And management said, like, absolutely not like that. That's not going like that's not going to work. Like you're not going to be able to afford to pay these guys <laughs> for them to have food, drink, hotels, travel, all that thing. I kind of said, look, you let me worry about that. And I went back to the lads and I said, look, lads, we might not make a fortune if we all go out and do this together. In fact, we'll probably lose money if we all go out and do this together. But I believe in what we're doing. And if you just want to come out on the road with me, I'll try and see to it that it doesn't cost us anything. Now, we might not make anything, but I'm going to try and see to it that it doesn't cost us anything. So when we made a thousand or 1500 or 2000 often it was spent on travel costs hotel room costs everyone having a bite to eat everyone having a couple of pints that kind of thing and and a lot of the time we didn't really make any money but what we were making was a serious impression on people people were coming to see a show and they couldn't believe they were getting eight people on stage i mean the bass player is older than my father but he just so happens to be a fantastic bass player. Um, the electric guitarist is a painter and decorator, and just so happens to be an amazing electric guitarist. The whistle player is a school teacher. The mandolin player is a school teacher. The banjo player is an electrician. The, um, the percussionist is, um, is a carpenter. I mean, it, it's, it's people from all different walks of life. And when we explain this to an audience and when an audience sees us for the first time and realizes that we're all different ages, we're all different shapes and sizes, we're, we're all different careers. um, But they love the human element of all of this coming together from the corner of a pub in Dublin to the big stages all around Ireland. And, and now we're getting to bring it to Europe and we're getting to bring it to the UK and to the United States. And, and for me, we're only scraping the iceberg. And, and I think we're finally starting to get the rewards for taking these chances and taking these risks and not playing by the rules. And um, because to me, that's the biggest problem I have with the industry is that it expects you to be in these boxes. It expects you to, you know, play by these rules and, and, and stick to an agenda and stick to a genre. I'm not doing any of that. I refuse to do any of that. I don't want to do it anymore. I experienced it for long enough as a teenager. um, And I had everything once upon a time. And I lost everything once upon a time. So now that I'm starting all over again, I'd go as far as to say, and I'm not saying this to sound like cocky or overconfident or whatever, but I don't think there's a 36-year-old in the music industry in Ireland that has 20 years of experience at at the level that I've had the experience. I have had a number one album. I've worked with the, the greatest names in Irish folk music, and I've been signed with big record labels. I've done it all from that point of view. I've lost it all from that point of view. And now that I'm starting all over again, I'm doing it my bloody way.
0: That is a great thing, because when you start off as a 17 year old, 16 year old in the business and you don't know what you're doing or you're thrust into it. The great thing is that when you reach 36 and you're still doing it, as you said, you have 20 years of experience and at 36 years of age, you know, you still have a long life left in music. So all of that experience put with some great people and great musicians can, you know, amount into a great thing,
1: no? Oh definitely. Well, I mean, I've got the bit between my teeth now and and I you know the thing about it is as well for an awful long time I always felt like I was answerable to other people. Like I I had managers and I had record labels and and I had, you know, certain criteria that I needed to meet and and certain things that I needed to do again to tick all of these boxes. Um and that was one way of living in the industry and you know, this time around the book kind of stops with me. I mean, uh, I've hired all these lads to to come out on the road with me and I'm the one that books the hotel rooms. I'm the one that books the sound engineers. I'm the one that books the venues. And, you know, it's nice finally being in charge of my own destiny and not feeling like I'm answerable to all of these other people and kind of wanting to do it my way. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm always right or that I've always got the best ideas or Or whatever, but at least if I make mistakes, uh, uh, I can live with them because they're my mistakes. Making my own decisions this time around, as opposed to going along with what it is uh, everybody else thinks I'm supposed to be doing, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. I want to go back to just one thing there. When you went to New York and you know you were working in bars there, and then you decided to pick up the guitar and learn it, was that something that you? always had wanted to do to play the guitar, but you never took the time? Or was it just, as you said, I think you had said you saw and were inspired by musicians over there and you decided this is the way I need to go. This is how I need to get my songs out there.
2: Well, actually, before
1: New York happened, uh, I actually moved first to New Zealand. I was living in, I had friends that had gone traveling and they they had done like Thailand and Cambodia and and Australia. And and then they had just landed in New Zealand. And I didn't go traveling with them because I was in the middle of working on a third album. And after the failure of the second album, my third album was supposed to be somewhat of a kind of rescue package. Let's try and get the, the train was going off the tracks and it was, It was a way of trying to get the train back on the track. So like the Dubliners agreed to come in and record some songs with me, um, which was a huge privilege. Uh, But when I brought the album to Sony, uh, who were my label for the first two albums, they took a look at it, took a listen to it. And they kind of said, listen, um, we just don't feel the timing is right. And we're going to pass on the opportunity to put this out, which was, you know, devastating for me and um, because i i felt that there was a really strong record there deserved to be heard um but they weren't taking the option to put it out so i decided right my friends are all after landing over in new zealand i need to get out of here for um a while i didn't know what i wanted to be doing with myself musically so i went to new zealand and i got myself a job in a bar over there took a step away from the music for a while um at least in terms of 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 a, a public format uh, but I did buy myself a guitar and during the days I would sit at home reading up on chords and how to learn chords and teach myself chords and stuff like that and it was a small community town that I lived in in New Zealand and word kind of got around who I was and a lot of people were looking me up on YouTube and seeing stuff that I'd done and they were all asking me to play a show uh, and I kept saying no no I'm done with the music for a while I'm not going to I'm not going to play a show kind of thing. And then I got a phone call from a band that I'd been working with in Ireland, um, the the band that I'd recorded my third album with, and they said that they had negotiated an independent record deal um, with a label here in Ireland that were going to book a tour for us. And did I want to come home to do it? Um, and so I kind of, I was enjoying my life over in New Zealand. Uh, it was a bit more carefree, relaxed, um, tranquil, But I kind of said to myself, if I don't take this opportunity to go home and do this now, I I may never do it. So as a way of saying goodbye to everybody in New Zealand, I booked one show, just one show on the night before I flew on the night before I flew home. And I invited all the people in the town that I had gotten to know while I lived over there. And we saw I sold out this place. Oh, God, what was the name of it again? uh i can't winnie's was called winnie's so winnie's in queenstown and um sold it out put on a show people were blown away really really enjoyed it and and i think that gave me a taste then when i got back to ireland uh to to really sink my teeth into this upcoming tour but when i came home i mean with with all due respect to the record label it's it's very different when you're dealing with an independent label, as opposed to dealing with Sony. So Sony were making sure that I had like the biggest interviews on RTE radio, the biggest interviews on the late, late show and, and the biggest uh, like front pages of magazines and papers and all of that stuff. And, you know, it's a different machine when you have that kind of weight behind you, but it, I didn't have that weight behind me anymore. So it was tough to get the word out about the shows. It was all oh, well and good having shows, but if, if you couldn't get the word out or promote them properly, it was, you know, the, the shows weren't as full as I would have likened them to be. And they weren't what I remembered, um, from the success of the few years that I'd had before that. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, I'm, if this isn't going to work, um, I, I still, I, I, I wasn't ready to come home just yet. Um, and i need to kind of go away again to uh to find myself as a person and as a musician and i could have gone back to new zealand the, the 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 invite was there for me to go back to new zealand but um i had a couple of other friends that were living in new york and i thought what better place to kind of go and try and get get out on the irish music scene but but from scratch and start all over again than new york city so i went over to new york city with this new album that i had just recorded with the dubliners and I shopped it to a few um, distributors over there and to a few venues who were willing to give me a chance as as a new Irish balladeer. And I got to know a lot of people, got to work on a lot of great shows. And a few years later, that's kind of what led to me being invited to become a member of the High Kings. And, and that's when I finally got a new break in music and a new opportunity to play the big stages again. And, you know... I can't knock it because it, it was a great opportunity, but it still wasn't the direction that I wanted to go in. If I was being true to myself, it, it, it made me good money and it, it enabled me to buy my own house back in Ireland when I came home. But it's just been a roller coaster journey. Um, but yeah, being over in New York and being in New Zealand, I would say were probably two of the main places that I learned my craft. Um, I'd say I probably have shown my craft mostly in Ireland, but I learned my craft mostly outside of Ireland.
0: Okay, that's great though, because sometimes you need that time to go away and reflect and and learn. I mean, you you know, because we can say, oh, look, I'm good at this, but I need to kind of get this skill or add another, you know, uh, arrow to my, my bow and the thing is when you go away as you said to find yourself you can say oh i'm, I'm going to do this and maybe it'll i'll change my songwriting and i'll you know learn the instrument and i'll discover new people and kind of do it under the radar but it's building up to something bigger isn't it
1: exactly yeah 100%
0: yeah that's great i mean that's really cool and it's um it's good to hear that all of those things that you know that you when you started out, you know, the great things and then they change and they become not so great and you have those, you know, things that some people might regard as failures afterwards. But it's great to see that you were able to take all of that and use it as a strength and kind of uh, turn it into something else, no?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, often often it is the, the tougher times in your life and when you're up against it, it's often them times that lead you to writing the best songs or, or or coming up with the the best motivational skills to try and dust yourself down and, and and be creative because uh i mean especially these last couple of years um i've probably written my best material or come up with my most creative material as a result of you know being stuck at home and not being able to be out gigging and you know it was devastating because things were only just starting to pick up for the rising suns and we had just finished our first tour and people were getting to know who we were and we were getting booked onto festivals and everything just came crashing down um but you have to kind of take these things and you know treat them uh, treat them like a tool in order to uh better yourself in some way and it's not always easy uh i certainly didn't find it easy but but i did find it as a as a motivational factor to to try and write some material or or um, come up with something uh, creative with the band, and I think when when you're faced with difficult times, it certainly leads to a uh, to the creative side of your mind, you know.
0: Yeah, and just there talking about the creative side, your songwriting then. So when you were seventeen. And you know, obviously, you were thrust into that spotlight, and you know they were kind of saying oh we'll we'll do these songs that have already been you know hits or they're traditional songs." But then, when you start writing songs for you know a new album and you wanted to do your own material, was that something that was hard to get into for you, or had you always kind of felt you you were would be good at songwriting Well,
1: I think I've always been good with words and with with, with um I'm not saying I'm the best lyricist in the world. I'm, I'm certainly not, but but ideas and concepts and and, and how to turn them into stories or, or lyrics or words, that's always been something that, that I think I, I'm okay with. Um, the melody side of things wasn't always easy because I didn't always play an instrument. Um, and even when you're only learning an instrument, even when you learn a few chords, you're still a little bit... Um, What's the word I'd be looking for? You're a little bit limited because you only know as much as you've learned, and and I'm not like I'm still not the most accomplished guitarist in the world. I mean, I can play enough to back myself, but but there's plenty of people out there that are that are a lot better than me. Um, but I was lucky enough, I guess, to be surrounded by fantastic musicians, and a lot of the time I would come to them, and my early songwriting days. I didn't always come up with the melodies. I, I I came up with lyrics and they came up with melodies and it was a little bit of an Elton John and Bernie Taupin kind of relationship, you know. I, I would write songs without yeah, without
0: yeah. without
1: yeah. coming up with uh with melodies. But the better I got on the guitar and the more melodies started coming into my head, even if I couldn't play the melody myself, I might I might have a melody in my head and, and I could bring it to my friends who played and I could be like la 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 and they'd figure out what i was what i was doing i'd be like okay so i wanted to go there and i wanted to do this and you know and it was a very um a very rewarding experience and it still is like when you when you write a song when you when you see a song go from just being a voice and a guitar in your sitting room to now it has percussion it has bass it has electric guitar, there's whistles, mandolins, fiddles, and, and they're all doing their little part in the song to make it become what it becomes. And then you get the finished product and you compare it to an original demo that you'd just done of you and your guitar and singing it and you see how chalk and cheese it is. Like it's 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 wonderful to watch a song make that journey, you know?
0: Yes, for sure. And speaking of songs, um I know you have the guitar handy there. Maybe you'll do a song for us
1: i go on, so I have it here. I was just restringing it, so um, I'll play an L song for you. I'll do an original for you, Simon. This is a...
0: What better time to break it in?
1: Well, talking there about, you know, living abroad and, um, and kind of, you know, trying to come up with new ideas and all that stuff. This song came to me when I was down in the local park that I was telling you about, um... And I brought my daughter down there to play in the playground. And, and it, it was the same kind of playground that I had grown up and spent my childhood in. And I sat there while she was playing and I realized how everything kind of goes full circle Um, from being a child playing in the park to having a child playing in the park and how time can just move on without you if you're not careful. And, That's kind of the uh, inspiration behind this song, and it's called The Hands of Time. It goes like this. Brilliant.
2: I've lived in other countries, but I find myself back home. Up many friendships and I found myself alone. There's one thing that I know in your life you'll find Oh there's nothing you can do to turn back the hands of time. Well, it doesn't seem like long ago I was playing in the park Kicking ball and meeting girls And staying out till dark But them years go so fast Really blows me mind And there's nothing you can do Turn back the hands of time The hands of time A little girl of my own I take her playing in the park Pretty soon she'll come here alone And she'll stay out until dark And I'll just have to listen To Daddy, I'll be fine And it's only now I know The weight on a father's mind the hands of the
0: Okay. Really nice, George. Really nice.
1: Thank you. I, I'm not sure how I'm not sure how the picking was at the start of that. I, I maybe I should have strummed it the whole way. But
0: no, it was really nice. It was really nice. It was lo- lovely and clean, and lovely and clean and melodic. It sounded really nice. Okay, happy days. And it's a nice song, and, and the the lyrics, you know, you can tell the meaning in them. It's it's there's a good meaning in them.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's brilliant, and your your voice sounds great. I mean. That's the, I think now as, at this stage of your life, you know what your voice is and that's your strength and, and that's what people probably, you know, they, they know that's George Murphy's voice. Oh, absolutely. Whereas once you were compared to, you know, Luke Kelly, now you're George Murphy.
1: Well, that's, uh, I, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to be me as long as I can, you know. <laughs> there was only one Luke Kelly.
0: Exactly, yeah, and that, that's it. And sometimes you have to move away from those comparisons and be yourself, don't you? And make your own identity. Absolutely, it's great. You know that obviously all your contacts in America and everything. It's great now that you've the the band is up and coming, and you're going to get to do those shows, and then possibly other countries in the future. No.
1: Oh, absolutely! But well, that, that—that's the plan. I mean, that the future is bright, and I—I I, like I said, we're only scraping the iceberg, at the tip of the iceberg at the moment. So, fingers crossed. Now, uh, the rising suns uh, will get the what they deserve, and and I really believe uh, we we can compete with the with the best of them if if we're given the opportunities. You know,
0: brilliant. Listen, George Murphy, it's been a pleasure chatting to you, and it's thanks very much for telling us you know your life so far and telling us about the ups and downs of it. And, uh, you know, the things you've done in during those few years. And we just want to wish you the best and good luck with, you know, the rising suns. And it sounds like it's a great, you know, idea, the whole thing, a very natural thing and a very kind of organic thing. But it sounds like it's going to really grow into something special that people will love. So I want to say well done.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much, Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate.
0: George Murphy, everyone. Thank you, George. Cheers, man. Okay, we hope you enjoyed that. That was George Murphy from The Rising Suns. And we hope you enjoyed the interview. Great chatting with George and finding out about all his life, you know, and everything he's done so far in it. And we wish him all the best. And thank you for playing a song as well, George. It was really nice to hear that. So best of luck with everything. We will have some extra special guests over the next few weeks as well. And we hope you stay tuned and we hope you're enjoying the show. And as I asked you earlier, please subscribe, please follow, please stay with us and tell your friends that. The best thing you can do first. So until the next time, my name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper Podcast. Look after yourself, your family. Take care. Bye bye.